We've been in a series now for a little while called The King's Mission for Every Christian. And it's a sub-series and a bigger series we're doing on the Gospel of Matthew. But the end of chapter 9 and then all of chapter 10, there's a specific thing happening in Jesus' ministry and his disciples' lives. And what's happening is they are being sent out for their first ever solo ministry trip. So, so far, they've been hanging out with Jesus, following him all around Israel, Palestine, and watching him do stuff. And he's been teaching them as he has done stuff. And, you know, I imagine they've been helping along the way and, and uh, supporting him. But now he's giving them the surprising news that they are actually going to replicate him. They're not just going to assist him, but they're going to replicate him. Because funny thing is, Jesus couldn't be in more, place, more than one place at once. He was a human. He really took on human flesh, blood. He got hungry. Uh, he had to go to the bathroom. He was born. You know, like, he was a real human, so he was limited to, to, by space and time, just like how all of us are. So he came and taught others to do the same thing he did so that his ministry and his work could be multiplied over the entire earth. He believed that what he was doing was so important that he wanted to pass it on to others so that they could continue to do the thing he had been sent to do. And then we're all here in this room because when he said, I'm sending you out, they went. If they hadn't gone, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> That's probably untrue. I'm sure the sovereignty of God would have worked it out. But the reason we're here is because they obeyed and because they went. So, you know, this is a big deal in Christianity, right? Evangelism. Like, everyone knows. It's kind of like a proper noun, capital E, evangelism. This is something really important to Christianity. And yet the word only appears in the New Testament like two or three times. And the reason for that is because the, the heartbeat of Christianity is evangelism. So to talk about it all the time, you don't need to use the word because it's just what Christianity is all about is spreading and continuing the mission and the message of Jesus. So in this sub-series, The King's Mission for Every Christian, we're wanting to kind of do a deeper dive into what it looks like to be on our mission and how to sustain it as we go out about it, as, as we go out on it. And if, we're gonna, if we have a mission, we need a strategy, right? Like, we could just do a very broad shotgun approach, which is kind of the evangelism strategy that I lived out most of my life. Just pray for everyone, try and get everyone to say a prayer, try and heal everyone. And at some point, I think a revival will start, and that'll be awesome. A lot of people will get saved, and I guess more churches will happen. Like, I just kind of had this vague picture in my mind of just pray for everybody, do tons of power evangelism, and really good stuff will happen. But it turns out that Jesus gave much more specific instructions than just pray for everyone. That was actually kind of part of his instructions, was everyone is fair game. But then he narrows it down with this criteria of how we determine who we're supposed to actually focus on. So everyone's an option, but we don't focus on everyone. And in Matthew 10, verses 1 through 15, or verses 5 through 15, a strategy develop, a strategy emerges that has been dubbed the person of peace strategy. We see this also taught in the book of Luke, and then all throughout the New Testament, we see this kind of pattern 
where the apostles, and you see it in Jesus' life too, he finds someone that receives him, that receives his message, and then receives his mission, and he invests in them. The first persons of peace that we see in the gospel are the 12 apostles. 12 people that decide to follow Jesus around, believe his message, and then begin to continue his mission for, on their own. So as we're out about our life, as we're living on mission, as we're living with this mentality that I'm here to replicate Jesus' ministry, we're looking for people who will receive us, who, end, who receive our message, and then who ultimately receive the same mission we're on. And we spend time with them, we focus on them, we build into them, and then we continue to find another person of peace. We, move, we, we build into them, we invest the message in them, the mission, and they carry it on. So Jesus is giving the instructions for this, and it sounds pretty exciting. He's like, go proclaim the good news, um, like the best announcement ever that God is here and God is doing stuff and God has arrived. He's here to rescue Israel. Go tell people that. I want you to heal them, cast out demons. All the miraculous acts I've been doing, I want you to do that now. You're gonna find, and then he, it gets even better. You're gonna find people who want to hear this from you. You're gonna find people who invite you into their home, who invite you to stay with them and um, who are gonna receive this like deeply at a heart level. And they're getting stoked. I mean, that's what I imagine. Like they're excited. I I'm excited as I read that passage, like let's go, let's just leave church right now and go find persons of peace. And then he adds in these two verses, uh, verse 14 and 15. He says, and this isn't gonna be on the screen. If anyone will not, will not welcome you or listen to your words, Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So you hear that and you're like, okay, some people aren't gonna receive me. Good, okay, th thanks for the reality check, Jesus. I got it, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Like, not everyone's gonna receive me. And what I hear you saying is when someone doesn't receive the message, doesn't receive me, doesn't receive the mission, just, just move on. Like, awesome, great, that's so freeing. I get it. And then he drops this cryptic statement about how it's gonna be more bearable for the people who had fire and salt rain out of heaven on them than for the people who reject you. And you're just like, okay, intense Jesus coming out, like didn't sleep well or, you know, Peter was acting like an idiot again. And so Jesus is just kind of trying to keep us in check. You hear that? And you're ready, you're, you're gonna start walking out the room to go on your mission pairing up, where, where are we gonna go? And then Jesus says this, and this will be on the screen. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. Here's where it gets real. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Wait. You're telling me that if I obey you right now, I am going to be arrested and beaten? That changes the dynamic of this speech a little bit, right? <laughs> On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. You will be brought before Mike DeWine and Joe Biden, President Biden. 
you will be brought before whoever the next president is, Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever, you will be brought before presidents as witnesses to them and, and to the Gentiles. I just pause and imagine that really quick. If you, I mean, none of us believe this, let's be honest. None of us actually believe this is gonna happen to us, right? Like we hear this and we check out. What if we're not supposed to check out? What if you're supposed to hear this and you're supposed to be feeling fear right now? And you're supposed to be feeling intimidated right now? And you're supposed to be wondering, am I really, am I really up for this? Like, that's how they would have been hearing it. <laughs> we hear it like, okay, cool, verse 16, Gospel of Matthew. That's not how they heard it. They heard this like it was with an intensity. As witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be, for it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The spirit of Van speaking through me, what? The spirit of John the fisherman, my dad's a fisherman, that, what? Like this is crazy to them that Jesus says, your father. That's not the concept for a Jew, that God is their father in this intimate sense, he's gonna speak through them. This is shocking news. Spirit, his spirit? No, I mean, I have a human spirit, I'm a fallen, messed up person. His spirit is going to come inside of me? I just was mean, and so, or I just stole, or what, like, I'm going to have the spirit of, my, of God, Yahweh, is going to be inside of me? Brother will betray brother to death. James and John look at each other. <laughs> Peter and Andrew step a little bit further apart from each other. Children re will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by some people because of me. You will be hated by people of other religions because of me. You will be hated, no, no, no. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell, like, okay, yes. I, that's the first thing you've said that I will do, Jesus. <laughs> All right, I, yes, okay, yes. <laughs> Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So let's go heal the sick. Let's go cast out demons. People are gonna provide for me. I'm gonna be invited to their house. This is gonna be awesome. And then I'm gonna be stripped naked and beaten. Wait a second. Not sure how awesome this sounds. It's like Jesus is saying, are you in for this? Like, are you in for this? Are you actually in for this? Imagine that we were in a dark room in Iran and you had grown up your whole life 
believing that this guy named Muhammad was the prophet of God. And then things have been stirred in your heart and you're starting to wonder and you're kind of questioning this stuff and you find out that your friend was healed through the name of Jesus, this other prophet in the, in the Quran, and you're just like kind of confused and you're starting to have dreams of this man in white and you just don't feel like Islam is hitting you right anymore. And someone tells you, tells you hey, do you want to actually begin to follow Jesus, the man that's been appearing to you in your dreams? Everything that we just read wouldn't have to be read to them. That would be the assumed next part of them saying the prayer, of them, of them dedicating their life, of them surrendering their life to Jesus. But for us, it's like, I'm just being honest here, like it's so hard for me to connect at a heart level with Jesus's words here. It's so distant from my experience. It's like if I was like, do you guys remember when, we, when you threw for a thousand yards in that season and you, know, you brought MVP? It's just like, no, I don't, that's never happened to me. I don't, that doesn't connect, like I don't get it. Do you remember, like, don't you love driving your Tesla? Like, what? No, I have a 2006 Dodge minivan. <laughs> like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't mean anything to me, you know? Like, I don't connect with that. N.T. Wright said something, I was reading the commentary about this passage this week, awesome uh, English scholar, British scholar, and listen to this quote from N.T. about this passage. He says, those of us who live in the Western world have become used to taking it for granted that we live in a tolerant society. We don't expect people to haul us off into court for what we believe. We don't expect to be beaten up because we speak about Jesus. We certainly don't expect to find ourselves coming before governors and monarchs on a charge of treason. But Jesus' message was truly revolutionary. And like all true revolutionaries, he and his followers were regarded as very dangerous. The question we face is not so much, isn't it a shame that the rest of the world isn't as tolerant as we are, but is this a sign that Christianity in the West has somehow compromised itself? Ouch. <laughs> and I mean, as I ponder that, I'm just kind of trying to figure it out, like, I think he's right, but like, what is he actually saying? What is actually right about that? And what I feel like might be part of the problem is we have settled for moral laws and immoral hearts. We have thought if we can have a more moral government or a more moral uh, cultural norm or more moral content in our schools or whatever, that hey, this is good, like the mission is being accomplished. The tolerant society we live in is, a, is in some ways a gift. Like we're here together, we're gathered together and it's, it's awesome, like I love being together with all of you guys and I love being able to share my faith with, with freedom. But some of us can't even say I love sharing my faith because we don't do that. And part of it is because we don't feel the weight and the burden that if I don't share, it's not gonna be heard. But if you lived in Iran, you would be a small, small chunk of Christians and you would know that if you didn't share, this person might never hear it. 
and all the different injustices that exist in the world, there's no greater injustice than someone not hearing the good news of Jesus. You know, when Jesus gave this um, admonition, he knew that it was applying far beyond the people he was saying it to, and even far beyond the journey they were about to go on to. They were about to go on. He's kind of being prophet Jesus here. Because there's nowhere in the Gospels, there's no record in the Gospels of Jesus' disciples being flogged. There's no record in the Gospels of Jesus' disciples being taken before governors or kings or councils. There's no record in the Gospel of them being hated and, and betrayed to death by their children. We get into that in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we start to see that play out. And we start to see that play out, we see that playing out right now all over the world. Listen to this. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked, and every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. The same enemy of the disciples in the book of Acts is the same enemy of us Christians in tolerant, safe, American, Western, United States, Christianity. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. If he can't kill us all, he'll kill us all. <laughs> if he can't stop your pulse, he'll stop your gospel urgency pulse. <laughs> And it turns out that the more comfortable we are, the easier it is to kill our gospel urgency pulse. <laughs> Me included, okay? This is not an indictment on, this is a we. The closest, here's my funny, trivial persecution stories, okay? I was in Turkey, and I was leading a missionary team in Turkey, and we went to a little town square to do gospel presentations. Imagine that you're in, you know, like Hyde Park Square, okay? If you've been to Hyde Park Square, that's kind of the feel, that's kind of the environment, but just make Hyde Park Square like 20 times bigger. And it's on the bay of um, Mediterranean Sea, or the, the Mediterranean Sea, the coast is there. And they told us before we went, it was me and 12 other Western teenage, Christian kids doing a mission trip, and they somehow trusted me to lead all of them. And we were told before we went that, hey, like the police, like we're not allowed to go do what we're gonna go do, um, and the police might come and stop us. We're not gonna get in like huge trouble, but if the police come and stop us and, uh, you know, intervene, then go meet at the McDonald's down there, like in the certain area. This was in 2000. 11, 2010. And so we're doing our gospel presentation. We have a big whiteboard out. We're scribbling on it and everything. And not scribbling on it, you know, we're sharing the gospel on it. 
and the police come and start to break it up. And so we all just like scatter, go all the different directions. And the, the three people that went with me, Emily, Justin, and Winston, three pals, and we book it for McDonald's. We go to McDonald's, it's like a quarter mile away. We get into McDonald's and we just wait. <laughs> like I don't have a, I don't have, a, I don't know how to get back to where, I, where I'm staying in Turkey. Like our contact isn't with us. I don't have a cell phone at this point. Like international plans were so expensive then. It wasn't a thing on why we have mission trips to have an international phone plan. We just wait there for an hour. No one shows up. We're like, okay, let's just kind of wander back close to the area that we were in when this, when we got shut down. We get back there and we're about 200 feet away and we see that all of our, our team and the police are, like the police is sitting there with our team. Some of them plain clothes police, some of them in, in, in uh, uniforms. And one, one of the group of us, his name is Justin, was like 10 feet in front of us and didn't see it and just keeps walking all the way up to them and blows our cover. And I mean, what were we gonna do anyway? Like, we're just gonna go join our team at that point. So we go join our team. They take us back to a police station, take all of our passports. This, nothing really crazy happens, okay? Don't get on the edge of your seat. Um, take our passports, take all of our literature, and we sit there for like two hours before they give us all our passports back and we get to leave. And they say, don't ever come back to this part of Turk, this, this neighborhood of Istanbul again. So we go on. A couple years ago, I was in Pakistan and uh, pretty hostile nation of the gospel. One of the top places where, where persecution happens of believers. And we went into a mall and did a ton of power evangelism. Like most of the ministry we were doing was at these like big crusade events that were kind of more protected, which is ironic. There's a, there's a small minority of Christians in Pakistan that have some kind of legislative protection. But then we go to a mall. And I remember being in the mall and, and praying for people and just feeling like kind of different weight. Like, as I said, Jesus is healing you to this man who had a neck brace on, took his neck brace off. It felt more costly to say the name of Jesus out loud. And when the dude walked by with the big beard, you know, I can pretend all day that I'm just totally not Islamophobic or whatever. I was scared. <laughs> like, it made me nervous. There, there was actual pressure involved. And getting into context like that help us connect to what the global church is actually facing. It gives us a, a, a perspective for what's really, what it really means with the real weight. To, I mean, what I, what I experienced was so minuscule in terms of what so much of the world is facing every single day. Our good friend, Shren and Maria, who are coming back for a six month leave here in the States, who've been living in China. Like, they're, they're experiencing the real weight of what happens to someone who says, I will not submit to the Communist Party. I will submit to Jesus over the Communist Party. They're experiencing the real weight of that. And there's something for us when we read these passages where things can get woken up in us and things can get, get stirred up in us that usually are asleep because of the comfort and the tolerance we live in. I think that's one of the greatest things that a passage like this can do for us is provoke us to more, provoke us to more boldness, provoke us to live as if persecution was imminent and to kind of to shift our hearts into gear. So the kind of breakdown I see in this passage is that persecution is gonna come from four different sources. 
First, the religious establishment. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. This is talking about elders of Jewish communities and local religious councils and the actual church, you know, the, the synagogue. It's not a church, but the synagogue they, that they're um, a part of. They're going to be brought there and actually the message that they are preaching the synagogue's message, they're bringing fulfillment to it, the synagogue's gonna miss it, and they're gonna persecute you. So the first source that Jesus says um, persecution's gonna come from is religious establishments. You know that some of the greatest opposition to the gospel has been from the established, institutionalized church, historically. So the person, the first person that wrote this book into a language we could read was killed for it, William Tyndale. <laughs> he was killed because he was opposing uh, um, religious structures that were not empowering the laity. You know the saying, everybody gets to play, all of God's people can do the stuff, we can all pray for the sick, we can all read the scripture, we can all disciple and teach. That, people had to fight to get that to become the norm in Christianity. So we, we will potentially face persecution right here in the religious establishment. God, guard Vineyard Northwest from ever falling where it could fall. This is a human-led institution in place that could go the wrong way. So Lord, guard us. Keep us faithful to your word. Keep us submitted to the real Lord of Vineyard Northwest, Jesus Christ. Number two, the second source is the government or the state will be brought before kings and governors. America loves America more than it loves Jesus. Did you know that? America loves America more than it loves Jesus. The president lo loves, the, the government establishment, the executive chief, the, these structures that are great. I mean, thank God for our nation and for our, our government, okay? You can hate Democrats all you want, and if a Republican gets elected, you can hate Republicans all you want, but they are over and above a million times better than Saddam Hussein as your president, okay? So just real quick reality check about how bad a Democrat is or how bad a Republican is or progressive ideology or conservative ideology. Like, thank God for the country we live in. This country exists to promote itself, not Jesus Christ. Our government is not designed and wired to promote Christianity. It is designed to promote and perpetuate and to prosper the United States of America. So conceivably, I know it's hard to conceive right now, okay? But conceive, and right now it's like Christianity is so tolerated and accepted and even celebrated somewhat in the United States. It's hard to see a divergence coming. It's hard to imagine that. But if the bottom line truth is, is the US, the US government exists to prosper and preserve itself, and its citizens, and not Jesus, then there can come a rift. Have we prepared ourselves at a heart level to disobey the US government to be faithful to Jesus? 
prepare yourself now so that three generations from now, when that very likely will happen, your great-great-great-grandchildren will be able to. If we think that America is just gonna become like the kingdom of God or something, and whatever, I don't know what kind of thinking we accidentally fall into, then we're not gonna prepare future generations for the type of opposition that they will face. No, the only government that is eternal that will last forever is the government of God, the kingdom of God. That's the one that we can faithfully trust to never waver. And so I'm not trying to be like super apocalyptic or weird here, but like, it's just, we gotta think accurately and honestly and understand that like, my allegiance is not to the flag. Like my allegiance is to the cross. <laughs> my allegiance is not to the flag, even though I've pledged that all of those years as a kid, they're really get, they're trying to get me, okay? <laughs> they were trying to get me. <laughs> they thought they had me. They had me saying declarations. They had me doing prophetic acts. But my allegiance is to the cross. And you know what the cross is used for? Suffering, violence, death. If your allegiance is to Jesus, prepare yourself for suffering, violence, and death. For, third source where opposition will come from, your own family. Brother on brother, father, his children, children, their parent. This is really subversive to the family dynamics of the day. Because what's really important in this context, in this time, in this culture, is the household. You know, like, honor the household. The patriarch, follow his lead, honor him, do things that bring honor to him. That's like really, really noble, and that will be very rewarding for you in life emotionally, if you do things that honor your father and your mother. And of course, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. But you know there's commandments before that. Worship the Lord your God only, and only him serve, no idols. So for Jesus just to insert this here, like, it's a just common storyline. It's commonly accepted. It's even looked, that idea of honor the household is even being very called into question in our society. And, you know, like, is that the best thing? Or should you be your own person? Like, what if your household wants to limit you, you know? No, like, you need to be your own person no matter what. That's kind of the common vibe of the day, right? In Jesus' time, that was, in, that was never, that was unanimously um, condemned, that thought of be your own person, do your own thing. It was do what the, what's best for the family. And so for Jesus to say that you're gonna do something that's gonna bring dishonor on your brother, that's gonna bring dishonor on your parents, that's gonna bring dishonor on your children was again, like a deep provocation to, this, to the, to the um, depth of loyalty they were supposed to have to Jesus. Have loyalty to Jesus above your own family. And there's people in this room whose husbands are not followers of Jesus, whose wives are not followers of Jesus. You can probably relate, if you're in that boat, you can probably relate to this passage better than almost every single person in the room. 
Because that's a really, really, really hard thing to walk through and to live out. Fourth source that Jesus is hinting at here where persecution will come from is society at large. We can relate to this one maybe more than the other three. Like, it's becoming uncool to be a Christian, right? It's, it's pretty much uncool today to be a Christian. It's like Christian is synonymous with homophobic, bigot, racist. I mean, cons- at least if you, if you also check the box of saying like, I kind of lean towards being conservative or, or maybe not, let me say it this way, if you adopt a lot of values that a traditional conservative also adopts, you value life of the unborn, you think that marriage should be between a man, or that the like, best sexual ethic is to be married to someone of the opposite sex, like, if you hold those things and you're a Christian, it's, you're pretty uncool today, right, in general, is the vibe that society wants to tell us. So like, this is one that we can relate to more, being disliked by people. But it's still not to the point for us where we need to change jobs. Maybe a couple of people in this room have had that experience, maybe no one, where we need to flee to a new town because we're a Christian. But we shouldn't be surprised when that type of vibe, that type of thing happens to us. If that were to happen to us, we just say, okay, par for the course. This is what Jesus said would happen to his followers. So, I'm gonna end this positively, okay? In Matthew 5, Jesus says this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you. You know why? Because you're in a spiritual lineage of the baddest, and I mean that in like the cool way, people in the whole Bible. You wanna be like Daniel? You wanna be like Abraham? You wanna be like Moses? They were persecuted. Aspire to be like the heroes of our faith. You're blessed when you're persecuted. There is a acquisition of the kingdom of heaven that is only understood by those who are persecuted. There is an ownership level. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a way that you feel and you own the kingdom in a way that is unique to those who are persecuted for the name of Jesus. So you guys wanna stand up, let me pray for you. Some of you are like, no. (laughs) No, I don't want him praying for me. Hmm. Jesus, let us wake up to the fact that you were crucified for being you. You were opposed, mistreated, tortured, and killed for being you, and you call us to be like you. You say that you're alive in us. Lord, without the external persecution, 
it's kind of hard to, to relate to these passages, but I'm asking you, God, quicken our hearts, quicken our spirits to live on mission in a, in, a, in a radical way that you called your disciples to. You sent us out with a great plan and you said there's gonna be so much joy as we did it, but you also told us of the opposition we would face. So humbly right now, God, with humble hearts, we just say, we receive Matthew 10, 16 through 23. We receive this passage to purify us, refine us, and shape us. We honor you, Jesus. We just pray really quick for persecuted Christians worldwide. Will you strengthen them, Lord? Will you strengthen our brothers and sisters those that are in prison right now, Lord, will you touch them with your spirit? We got to worship you and experience your presence this morning. We just ask you to reveal yourself to those facing real life or death circumstances, real opposition for being faithful to you. Will you strengthen the church worldwide? Strengthen persecuted believers.